You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. There are many times in a child's life that a parent feels are very important points in time. Learning to speak, learning to walk, starting school, the venture into teenage life, and so many others. For any parent, that moment when you watch your son or daughter venture off to post-secondary school for the first time, that is an incredibly important and proud moment. When one particular young woman was dropped off for her freshman year at Indiana University, her parents had no idea that they would be sending her off on a series of events that would lead to her eventual disappearance, rather than a path towards a bright and promising future. Now, nearing 12 years later, there are still no answers as to what happened, where she went, who she was taken by, or whether she is alive or dead today. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 69 of Gone But Never Forgotten, Gone Without a Trace, The Lauren Spearer Story. Lauren Spearer was born on January 17, 1991 to her mother Charlene and her father Robert Spearer. Lauren grew up in Scarsdale, New York, a small town with only 17 to 18,000 residents at any given time living there. The town is located in Lower Westchester County, which is known to be a very wealthy area. Her father, Robert, worked as an accountant. Lauren would graduate from Edgemont High School in 2009, and she would enroll at Indiana University in 2009. She was studying textile marketing at IU. It would appear that one of the reasons that Lauren chose to attend IU was because she had met a group of friends, including her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, years earlier when she attended Camp Tonawanda which was a summer camp in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, and they too were going to attend IU. Anyone that has gone away for school can understand the anxiety of doing that, so having a built-in group of friends where you were going would certainly make life a whole lot easier. Another one of the people that Lauren would meet at Camp Tonawanda was her friend Jay Rosenbaum, who, as we will see, was also a part of the night that she went missing. 
Lauren was a very integral part of the Jewish community at IU, and she even had gone to Israel the spring before her disappearance with the Jewish National Fund to plant trees. Lauren would go missing in the early hours of June 3rd of 2011, and I'm going to share with you what we know about the hours before she disappeared. One thing that I will mention right off the top is that Lauren also suffered from long QT syndrome, which is a heart signaling disorder that can cause chaotic and fast beating of the heart, also known as arrhythmia. Some people are born with altered DNA and that can cause QT syndrome. Tests have shown that alcoholism and drug use can cause worsening problems related to QT syndrome, and it can even cause sudden cardiac death. So, as we unravel this onion and talk about the night that Lauren had, remember those facts and also remember that she was a very petite young woman. At the time of her disappearance, she was 4 foot 11, weighed 95 pounds, had blonde hair, and blue eyes. On June 2nd, Lauren had a few of her friends over to her place to watch a basketball game and have some wine. One of the people that was missing from the entire day and night was her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf. He said that he was texting back and forth with Lauren until he finally went to bed. Lauren also told Jesse after her friends left at the end of the game that she was going to go to bed. Sadly, though, that did not happen. Instead, around 12.30 a.m. on June 3rd, Lauren would be caught on camera leaving her apartment with a friend of hers named David Roan. She appeared to be happy, not intoxicated, and very well. The two would head over to Jay Rosenbaum's apartment, where they would party with him and Corey Rossman, Rosenbaum's neighbor, and Michael Beth, his roommate. The group would start drinking, and there are also rumors that they were doing clonazepam and cocaine at the party. Lauren, and one of the seemingly new people that she had met, Corey Rossman, would actually leave the apartment and go to a sports bar that was close by, named Kilroy's. The two were seen entering Kilroy's at 1.46 a.m. The two would only be there for about 45 minutes, and they would be seen leaving at 2.27 a.m. Lauren would leave her cell phone and her shoes at the bar. She had taken her shoes off when she walked onto the sand-covered patio. The two would walk together back to Lauren's apartment building, which was a very short walk. They would be seen entering the building at 2.30 a.m. A man named Zach Oakes saw her approaching the building and could tell that she was, at that point, incredibly drunk. He asked her if she was okay. There are even reports that while there, another man punched Rossman in the face and Rossman would later claim that that punch made it hard for him to remember much of anything that happened that night. In other words, he said that it damaged his memory. The two would then leave her apartment building at 2.48 a.m. Rossman was seen carrying Lauren over his shoulder, and it was very obvious that she was heavily intoxicated. They would walk through an alley and then to walk towards an empty lot. 
Lauren's keys and her purse would be found along that route as well by investigators. Lauren and Rossman would go back to Rossman's apartment and Michael Beth, his roommate, would say that Rossman was at that point also incredibly drunk and he vomited on the carpet on his way upstairs to bed. Beth said that he helped Rossman into bed and then returned downstairs to try and convince Lauren to stay at the apartment and sleep it off. He claims that instead, Lauren wanted to return home to her own apartment. Beth says that he then called Rosenbaum because he wanted to take care of his friend Lauren and get her to come over to his place. Beth also said that Lauren was trying to convince him to go back to her apartment with her to continue drinking. Eventually, Lauren would wind up at Rosenbaum's apartment and he says that he noted that he had a bru that sorry that she had a bruise under one of her eyes. He claims that that came from a fall earlier in the evening, but said too that Lauren did not know how she had obtained the bruise. Two calls were made on Rosenblum's phone. He said that Lauren made both calls. Neither call was answered, and no voicemails were left. Rosenblum says that he tried to convince Lauren to sleep on his couch, but that she was not having any of it. She told him that the party was not over yet. She was not going to bed, and she left his apartment, according to him, at 4.30 a.m. That means that according to all of the evidence that we have, if we believe everything, that means that Jay Rosenblum was the last person to have admitted seeing Lauren alive because she would not be seen again, as far as anyone knows, to this day. He said that the last time that he saw her, she was at the intersection of 11th Street and College Avenue, heading south on College. Lauren was barefoot, wearing black leggings, and a white tank top with a white top. A few hours later, according to him, after he woke up, Wolf would send Lauren a text and he would receive a response, but it was from an employee at Kilroy's. Seemingly, after making a couple of calls, Wolf would report Lauren as missing. Obviously, as often is the case in situations like this one, everyone would start to look at the people that Lauren was last seen with, and they didn't really help their cases. Four of her friends that were all together that night retained lawyers very quickly after it was determined that Lauren was missing. On top of that, police had no way to corroborate the alibi of Wolf, who said that he was home alone in the wee hours of the morning when Lauren did go missing. Some of the parents even refused to allow the investigators to do polygraph tests on their children. Two of those were Rosenblum and Wolf. They evidently took and passed privately done polygraph tests, but those tests were never made public. On June 4th, Lauren's parents came straight to Bloomington, Indiana to help search for her. On June 5th, Lauren and her story started to trend on social media. An account that was dedicated to everything that was going on in Lauren's case had over 20,000 followers within a few days of her disappearance, and celebrities were also interactive in regards to the story. 
The widespread attention through the media actually motivated many people to come to Bloomington to volunteer in a ground search that was organized by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The Indiana State Police also organized a thorough search of Lake Monroe, but there was no evidence of Lauren in, at, or near the lake. On June 9th, less than a week later, knowing that time may be, in fact, of the essence, the family put forward a $100,000 reward for the safe return of Lauren to them. Authorities would announce that they had identified 10 people of interest in the case and that Corey Rossman and Mike Beth had been asked to submit DNA samples in order for police to rule them out as suspects. On June 11th, Lauren's case was covered on America's Most Wanted, and over 350 tips came in after the episode aired. Unfortunately, though, none of those tips got them any closer to finding Lauren or to naming an official suspect within the case. People, though, remained steadfast, and most days there were more than 1,000 people searching the Bloomington area for any sign of Lauren. Indiana University also added to the reward money in the case when they added $50,000 for any information that led to Lauren's location or an arrest. In July and August, investigators searched both the Hoosier National Forest and the Sycamore Ridge Landfill. The landfill was where all of the trash and refuse from the Bloomington area was taken. The search was done by the Bloomington Police Department in concert with the Indiana University Police and the FBI. By early 2012, the reward money had been increased to $250,000. There were numerous bodies of young females located in the area in the months and years after Lauren disappeared, but all of them have been eliminated as having been the remains of Lauren. Unfortunately, though, all of that searching and all of those rewards have so far been for naught. Two years later, authorities would announce that they had received over 3,000 tips in the case of Lauren and her disappearance, and 100 of those had even come in the early part of 2013, so tips were still coming in strong. In April of 2015, another young student at IU was murdered. Hannah Wilson would go missing on April 24th of 2015 after she visited Kilroy's, the exact same bar that Lauren had been to on the night that she disappeared. Hannah's body would tragically be discovered the next day in Brown County. A man named Daniel Messel was arrested for Hannah's murder because his cell phone was located near the body. Investigators would conclude in July, though, that they did not seem to be any connection between the two cases. On January 28th of 2016, the FBI, in concert with other police agencies, searched a property in Martinsville, about 32 kilometers north of Bloomington. The FBI announced that the search was done because of leads and tips within Lauren's case. The property was searched because of the connection to a man named Justin Wagers, who lived there with his mom and his stepdad, and he was suspected of committing perverse acts 
up to and including exposing himself to numerous women. The property was searched with sniffer and cadaver dogs, which did indicate that they found potential evidence at the scene. Digs were done by anthropologists, and dirt was even sifted from the barn where the cadaver dogs indicated evidence. Unfortunately, nothing was found. From the very beginning, Lauren's parents were very suspicious of all of the people that were around Lauren on the night that she disappeared. They also contend that Jay Rosenbaum, Corey Rossman, and Kilroy's sports bar all were negligent when it came to Lauren because they felt that it was very evident that Lauren was intoxicated, and as such, they believed that all three parties had a duty of care to ensure that Lauren was kept safe. Lauren's parents would even file a civil suit against Rosenbaum and Rossman, but the lawsuit would ultimately be dismissed because it was determined that there was not enough evidence to show that either man knew her level of intoxication or her level of intoxication itself were at fault for her disappearance. On June 3rd of 2023, it will officially be 12 years now since Lauren disappeared and nobody has ever been charged in the case, nor has Lauren or Lauren's body been found. It is absolutely heartbreaking. As I always say, there is no way that you can put yourself into the shoes of anyone that knew Lauren, especially her family, but not having any answers here certainly is an awful feeling. As for theories, as all of us know, in cases like this one, there are always theories aplenty. I'm going to mention a few of them. The first theory that is out there is that Lauren's death was caused by an accidental overdose. Lauren did have apparent drug issues before she disappeared, up to and including months and even possibly years earlier. On September 2nd of 2010, Lauren had been arrested and charged with public intoxication and illegal consumption. Police also did find a small amount of cocaine in Lauren's room after she disappeared. Rosenbaum did tell investigators that Lauren had drank, snorted cocaine, and crushed up pills, as we mentioned earlier. Many people believe, even that if Lauren had overdosed and died, that they, that may have been motive enough for the men involved to hide her body. The private investigator that was hired by Lauren's parents, however, doesn't believe that a fatal drug overdose would be enough motive to hide all of the details and to hide a body. It is, however, widely rumored that a lot of the friends involved in this case were known drug dealers on campus. So, all of that is certainly up for debate. A stranger abduction certainly has also not been ruled out in this case, and investigators have noted that. Lauren's parents have said that they do not believe that this was a case of stranger abduction, but I honestly don't know how they could say that, to be completely honest with you. A young, petite, and obviously inebriated woman walking down the street in the quiet part of 4.30 a.m. with no shoes and all alone is certainly an easy target for predators, sadly. 
There are obviously many other theories and whodunits out there all over the internet, as we do always see in cases like this one. But all of that has not been fruitful, as even if investigators have some idea what might have transpired here, not enough evidence has come to light in the case to press one single charge, as I alluded to earlier. There are certainly many ways that this disappearance could have happened. Personally, I won't dive too deeply into my thoughts here. I will go a little more in depth on my reaction video on Patreon. However, what I will say is that to me it seems strange that Lauren would tell her boyfriend that she was headed to bed, and then suddenly it seems like the plans all changed. For most of us, 12.30 a.m. is a little late to be starting the party, I think, even if we are partiers. I will always be curious as to whether going out was her original plan or if she was coerced, but I can only assume and hope that calls and messages were analyzed at length by investigators, but if they could determine that at all, I assume that that may have a lot to do with what way things went afterwards. That may at least help understand if this was some kind of a setup on Lauren to take advantage of her in any way, or if this was more of an accident or abduction case. For now though, I have to leave it there because we just don't know anymore. What we do know is that a young, vibrant, and beautiful young woman disappeared here. We can only hope that she's alive somewhere, but even her parents have largely seemingly accepted that she is no longer with us. In closing, I just want to say that I would love any support that you can give to the show, whether that is follows and ratings on your podcast platform, easy for me to say, or joining us as a Patreon over on Patreon to support the show, or just commenting and sharing what we have on social media. I appreciate each and every one of you goners that are out there supporting the show in any way. Lastly, I want to leave you with the words of Lauren's mom, first from 2011 and then from today on their website, findlauren.com. So... Before I do that, allow me to bid you adieu, and I do look forward to meeting you back here again next week. In October of 2011, Lauren's mom wrote, quote, I never expected to see October without Lauren. I never expected to feel the change of seasons. When the initial searches began, someone said searches for Lauren would be easier once the leaves fell and the fields of summer crops had been cleared. Once hunting season begins, virtually another source of searchers would come into play. I guess you've known all along we would still be searching for Lauren on this fall day. She added to that post almost 10 years later. She said, quote, It's inconceivable that I wrote those words in October 2011. We are still no closer we are still without answers. We are still searching now, almost 10 years later. How soon will it be 20 years later? The time ebbs and flows with no notice of a family who has lost someone. 
It seems like only yesterday someone offered Rob a pair of pants, noticing that his legs ripped to shreds from searching deep in the forests of Indiana. It seems like only yesterday Rebecca received the call telling her that her sister was missing. It seems like only yesterday I honestly thought I could ask for help from people who knew what happened to Lauren and they would willingly come to our aid, but I was wrong. They never came. If you are reading this, you have most likely been introduced to Lauren. I end as I began on June 3rd, 2011. If anyone has any information about the disappearance of our daughter, Lauren Spearer, please contact us. We continue to search for answers, as always, hoping today is the day. Thank you for listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. If you know anything, please come forward. Be better.